Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. We're going to fucking debate tonight. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're going to get fucking after it. <laughs> Embrace the debate. That's our new motto here. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Oh, God, embrace the debate. Well, I already pivoted to video last week, so might as well just go full. <laughs> Too old. Yeah. yeah, we've already done Fox, and so now we're going to do ESPN. <laughs> exactly. By the way, I think any person who honestly says embrace the debate should just be kicked in the nuts. You know. Wasn't that like their ESPN's like official TV slogan? Yeah, for a while? It, was, it was their official slogan. They That's came up with so that. Bad. And I do say I do mean kick them in the nuts because there's no way a woman would say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just horrible white dudes. <laughs> oh, all of them. And Stephen A. Smith. And, and actually, Babani Jones. I'll throw him in there too. He sucks too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, your Twitter hero fucking sucks too. He's. He's low-grade Stephen A. Smith. He's still fucking awful. Yeah, I can't follow him. Like, Yeah. I probably agree with Bo on a lot of stuff, but he just... I do. He did this thing like last week that pissed me the fuck off. He like sicked his Twitter follow- followers after this poor motherfucker, and the guy deleted the tweet, and then he copied the tweet and then reposted it, and was like, you can't get away from me like that. I'm like, what a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like Jesus Christ, you're a nationally syndicated columnist, and you're on fucking ESPN, and you're going after like some fucking Joe Nobody. That makes you an asshole. Just a, I don't even remember what it was about. I was just like, what a dick. <laughs> yeah, there's very. I don't understand. I I don't really understand why national writers like all of them do it from time to time, which I understand. They probably just see a lot of shit but yeah I understand losing your shit on one guy kind of thing I get that but like to completely like to continue the debate kind of that's not, yeah. not even debate like once you've driven the guy off Twitter you've won alright you were a dick about it and might you, you should at that moment have a moment of self reflection where you're like wow I took that shit too far. <laughs> you should not then double down. If you then double down, because you've had a chance to think about it, and it's like two days later, that's what makes you an asshole. Yeah, it's just, I don't get it. Why I waste mean, your energy? God damn. I had a dude, like, there's a guy that, I don't know if he's still following me because I haven't bothered to look, but <laughs> he, for every week, except for week one, has tweeted me, and this was all during the offseason too, about how bad Danny Etling is. And like just ruthlessly talking shit about Danny Etling. Dude, and, you just like Danny Etling more than anyone else on the site. Like you're, you're the wrong person to pick on. <laughs> I've been like the most critical of him. And like I was just, my responses to him for weeks were just like, he's not that bad. Like just chill out. Like he's not as bad as you're saying. You know, and then Etling played fine in week one and whatever. And he's like, okay, I was wrong, sorry. And then, like, week two, he just comes right back and he's like, fucking burn it down, Danny I'm like, oh, my God. But so, like, he just kept, like, so this week, of course, like, he just, 
all through the game. Alec fucking is trash, blah, 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 And then, like, again on, like, Monday doing it. So I was just like, I just muted him. Because I'm like, I'm just, you're I'm not just saying tired. anything productive. I'm just, like, tired I'm of just it. tired. Like, I get, look, I'm not going to blame any, particularly national people for muting people. Like, I'm, I'm a small fish, so I'm not going to mute you. Because yeah. I don't give a shit. Like, I can ignore you. Because I don't have enough people to ignore i could ignore one person pretty easily um i do that to my kids all the time um, <laughs> but like i understand a national writer needing to be like you know what this guy's kind of a dick mute <laughs> but uh, god when you start turning around and start trying once you're in the muck with them it's on you too <laughs> yeah well that, like i wasn't gonna sit there and retweet the guy like i mean like you said we're small fish and we have a modest following but we have our little corner of the internet and I could yeah. have easily retweeted the guy and, you know, like some of my more aggressive followers would have been right, like, exactly. fuck you, you know, and gone after him. But it's like, what's the point of that? Like, I don't – this dude just needs to chill out. Like, that's yeah, that just it. with dick. Yeah. I mean, like, like, the only time – yeah, like, unofficial rules, all right? Like, I don't think quote tweeting is inherently wrong. You just need to know your level of relative power to the person you're quote tweeting. Yes. Like, if you're of even power – you can quote tweet them, particularly if you're trying to like spark a debate, saying, hey, this is what Joe Blow said. It's kind of interesting. I disagree with it or I agree with it except blah, blah, blah. Here's here's why, right? Fine, because then you're just kind of going through. If they're much, much bigger than you, you can do whatever the fuck you want. You can retweet, you know, Donald Trump and, you know, be like, you know, what an asshole because Donald Trump is got – a gazillion more follower, followers than you. So who cares? You know, who cares? You're not abusing your internet power. But if you're the guy with a ton more followers, do not quote tweet the guy unless you're trying to say, hey, really good point. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. all, all you're doing is just sicking your followers on it and you know it. All right. And you're just trying to plead ignorance at this point. They're going, I had no idea that's what would happen. Yeah. So true. And secondly, if you're having a debate with another person, don't keep, quote, tweeting their reply. All right? You can do, like, the, the first one, maybe. But once it's, like, the second or third reply, it's the two of you having a discussion. Don't fucking, quote, tweet them at that point because then you're just a – then you're just a fucking coward and you're trying to bring in other people to help you out because you suck. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's your Twitter etiquette rules right there. <laughs> there you go. Right. You know, like know your relative power, but also if you're having a discussion with someone, it, the only time you should quote tweet your reply to someone when you're in a deep argument with someone is if you're trying to like literally change the subject and you want other people's input on it, and you're trying to start it off on even footing. But if you're trying to like disagree with them on that, you, not only are you an asshole, you're a coward. Yeah, uh, we're both. As you can tell, I've been drinking all night, so I'm going to go. <laughs> this is going to be a lively pod. God, I'm, like, I'm not going to say I'm totally fucking drunk, but I'm pretty tipsy because uh, I was trying to teach my daughter how to read tonight, and uh, she was uh, she was stalling. And I didn't <laughs> appreciate that. Like, it's one thing if she just can't read, and that's – well, I mean that's, that would be bad in its own thing, but like, she's five. <laughs> and like – there were just moments where she would just like pretend she couldn't do it and she would just be really, really bad, like worse than she actually is. 
and that's just stalling. And I'm not going to put up with that crap. <laughs> so, and I, I just looked at her like, we're not leaving until we read this book. So you can stall all you want, but uh, you know, you're not going to be able to watch Beauty and the Beast. So, oh yeah, I'll bribe her with Disney movies. I'm not above that. So you just got drunk. So once I, you know, once I got her to bed, I started drinking pretty heavily. I was, I was like, <laughs> I think I was threatening our daughter tonight. <laughs> there you go. And my wife's like, yeah, just have some whiskey. It'll be okay. Just that. So there we are. That's this yeah. is this is the type of podcast you're going to get then. Yeah. So uh, uh, Twitter advice and parenting advice. Hey, welcome to the Sneaky Good Podcast. I'm Poser. That's Dan. How's it going? Maybe I should be, though, so we can have the debate for the ages. <laughs> Thunderbolt sounds. We need that. We need, like, the... Uh, I do think you feel that... I do feel that you think I'm angrier than I actually am, because I'm really not. Like, I've been pretty supportive of O. I think I feel like I'm bending over backwards for the guy. I don't know. I don't think you're angry. Angry is probably not the right word, but I probably am reading more into what you're saying than what you were saying. So yeah, like I'll accept a, that. Like yeah, kind of like I, I, I look. I think the state game was horrible, but I also think it was just one game. I agree with you on that. Like I think on the one hand, I'm allowed to say that was a really, really shitty game, but. One shitty game just counts as one shitty game. It only counts as the standing one time. It does not mean the shittiness does not carry over. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the Syracuse game was just, I don't know. It was it was one of those things where you felt like they needed to come out and make a statement, and particularly with that first play. Like, you know, Greedy Williams gets the interception, he runs down the field, like gets down to the one-yard line, almost scores a touchdown. Like, you it kind of felt like this is our chance to make a statement. Like that was just a one game aberration. We're going to come out there and mud hole these guys. Yeah. The route and, is on. And it just didn't quite get off the ground. It was just a really frustrating game. You know, like, and there's some reasons to that. And I, I mean, and I know we've, you've talked a lot about this on Twitter and I talked a, a little bit about this. I actually like the decision to go to Brennan. Yeah. I, that's I thought, the, uh, it was interesting. I thought it was a gutsy call, and I think I think coaches are too conservative with how they treat their quarterbacks. Uh, I think the the world would be a better place if they were more willing to treat them like every other position. I understand they're special, but they're not that special. Yeah, I mean, and we're especially coming off a regime that we did so poorly developing quarterbacks, and I think part of the reason is how delicately – they were always handled. They ended up becoming so delicate because we handled them so delicately. I totally agree. So I think there's a, they're looking at track record. They're like, hey, let's get this guy some not just some snaps, but some meaningful snaps. Exactly. That's the keyword. And and then what sort of happened was the worst case scenario. Like yeah. everything went wrong that possibly could have. And then all of a sudden, an 18 point game was a three point game, and then panic set in. And really, if and I know this. It's, it's a weird thing to blame if that punt doesn't happen. 
if they don't down the ball at the one and instead it goes in the end zone or Chark is able to field it at the 15, I think LSU wins comfortably and we view the game as, ah, well, LSU struggled in the first half to get things going and then eventually blew them out. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's also not like Brennan played horrifically. Even the INT, which was debatably his, um, he played well. And Yeah, no, I think Brennan played really well. I, I think actually, and I was kind of talking about this with non-LSU fans, I'm actually really kind of encouraged by how the two quarterbacks played well slash badly. Like, Etling, your veteran, played really smart. But just lacks the physical, the high-end physical tools. Mm-hmm. Brennan clearly has the high-end physical tools, but he's just a step slow. Like the game is just a little bit too fast for him right now, which makes sense because he's a freshman and he's used to playing high schoolers. Yeah, it'd be a lot worse if those roles were reversed. Yeah, I do think. I mean, Seth's film breakdown today kind of highlighted some issues with Etling there too. Not. But it's not disaster, you know. It's not like Brandon Harris, who became almost—he um, was like a beaten puppy after a while. Yeah, like he would just not make a decision. <laughs> like he would just stand there and like not ever make a different read. Etling was just a bit slow on his reads on a, in a yeah. couple. Of, you know, and I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's just him coming to up to speed in yeah. the season or what. But I think a Seth showed like there was one with like Miles Brennan where. There was his interception. You could tell that the the receiver was open a step early. Yeah, and he just didn't throw the ball. Yeah, he like so double yes, it. The actual interception was kind of the receiver's fault because he broke the wrong way. But in the end, it's the quarterback's fault because he should have thrown the ball a second earlier. Yeah, when the break happened. So I, I, I pre- and also I appreciate the receiver saying, "Hey, it's my fault." But at the end of the day, I do think it's Brennan's fault. I, I don't know that really means a whole lot, but mainly. Maybe have been able to read the game earlier, but once again, it's a very correctable mistake that you kind of want your freshman quarterback to make. Like he needs to understand this is why you throw the ball a second early. This is what throwing them open is. You can't wait for them to actually be open. You have to anticipate them being open. Yeah, that's the whole idea of meaningful snaps is that he goes um, out there and makes those mistakes and learns from them. But the one, the other one from Seth's uh, article today, the clip of Etling, I forgot what receiver it was, but just – completely uncovered like he was playing against Kentucky kind of uncovered <laughs> and he just couldn't get it out because the he got rushed too quickly and honestly if he had thrown it out on time I think he would have fumbled so it was actually good that it took him an extra half second because if he was throwing that on time he would have been hit as he threw and probably would have fumbled yeah I don't know I <sighs> I don't know if that's the one I tweeted the, the gif of or not. Um, it might have been. But yeah, I mean, there was one where Decree was like coming back across the defense yeah, and was wide, wide open. open. Yeah. Just, yeah, that's the one. But if you watch Etling on the play, once Decree comes wide open, I mean, w- once Etling finishes his you know his step back in the, in the play action, he looks downfield and he's gonna throw it and he kind of brings the ball down for a second had mm-hmm. he thrown it in that second he probably would have been hit by behind and would have fumbled instead of being hit from behind when he had the ball down yeah and i so i, I think you can I, go either way on it so I, I mean ultimately i think he's not playing like so poorly that you have to take him off the field like 
Yeah, like there was. He might be a beat slow. That's it. Like there was a big thing in the media about how there's now suddenly a quarterback controversy, and I was like, I really don't like. our senior quarterback staked us to an 18-point lead, and our freshman quarterback gave it away. I mean, I know that's not fair, but that's kind of what coaches are going to look at. I think, if anything, it solidified Danny Etling as the starter, but also gave you encouragement that Brennan is the quarterback of the future. I thought it was, in a way, the perfect result. Yeah, I thought, too, that – I mean, the, the term I've come to use is unconventional because it is, like – yeah, no, I agree with that. Coaches don't do that very much. Like, you don't ever bench, especially, I think part of this goes back to the fact that fans still don't trust Etling. And so, it's not like we were bitching, you know, Jamarcus Russell to put in the backup, because everyone would have been like, well, of course Jamarcus is the starter. So, it's <laughs> yeah. sort of like, you bench Etling, and you're kind of like, well, I don't even really know if Etling is the starter. And now, you know, like, now we're putting in the backup who everyone knows is super talented, and it, for fans that, you know, I don't say fans in a derogatory, like I grew myself as a fan. Um, I think the perception is different, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming around to your way of thinking that Brennan will be the starter by the end of the season, but we're not there yet. Yeah. And also, when we say the end of the season, that might be the bowl game. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, so... I don't know. I, I think Etling is still clearly the guy. I think he it, – it's like when watching the game, it's like it's so tantalizingly close to what it could be. It's just not there yet. The offense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally it, it, agree. It's like you can feel it. You can see it. It's just – it's a half step off, and that half step is a huge step. The defense, I, I know it will come around. And when I say I know, it just because it always has in the past. And Aranda did this, kind of did this song and dance last year. So mm-hmm. I'm not as, but that was not one of his better. That's not one he's going to put on his highlight reel. That we were lo- we have a higher standard for the defense and the offense. If you say what's the LSU playbook, you're like, hey, we just want the offense to be competent. We need the defense to be great. And right now, the offense is showing that competence. It's the defense that's also just, yeah, they're okay. Yeah, and we need it to be great, and it's it needs to take that extra step. I didn't think they played. I've seen a lot of harsh criticisms for. I didn't. I didn't think they were that bad. Um, of course, you know, saying they're eh, good is hardly a harsh criticism. It's yeah, eh, they were good. Like I, I'm encouraged by the fact that they are making teams drive the field on them. I am not encouraged by the fact that they can't get off the field. <laughs> yeah, like there's that, and also like. I know there's always an excuse for every penalty flag. It's always like, oh, well, that one's a bad call because of this and that yeah. one because of this. But you know what? There comes a point where it's just the sheer volume of them. It's you. And like that chase on penalty on third and long, like I know like they hit the quarterback. The quarterback kind of fell into him and he couldn't get out of the way or whatever. That is a moronic penalty. Like when it happened – he cannot commit that penalty. And I know, like, I think someone on the site said, what's he supposed to do? Just hold him up? Yes! That's what he needs to do. <laughs> like, you have to know the situation. It was third and forever. You can't even come close to getting a flag on that play. Yeah. And plays like that are what probably turned that game from being a blowout to being close. I mean, I, I still never felt the game was in doubt. Syracuse never had the ball with a chance to take the lead. 
Yeah, even though they got it to two points, it's still just two points is so close. That's it's. But what I liked about it is they brought Etling back in, and Etling just cool as a cucumber, man. Like actually, I think that's. I don't think he's getting enough credit for that. He was sitting on the bench. He, had, he hadn't played for like an hour in real time. Yeah. Comes back, game drives the team, calmly drives the team down the field, scores the, you know, the ceiling touchdown to win by nine. Like, that was awesome. Like, just no panic in that guy. That was definitely, you know, you talk about like ice water in his veins. That was, an, that was a critical drive for the team. Yeah. Like, yeah, he, uh, he totally played the... Um he, uh, he iced the game. He yeah. absolutely just put it away. So I was really, I don't know, like, Ellen got bad reviews, particularly because that first quarter was just awful. But if you take out that, the first quarter stats, he was awesome. <laughs> like, he had great numbers once they figured out what they were doing. And they started off so bad. I mean, just, just terrible. Yeah, this but is I my uh, – the first quarter highlights my primary concern with the team is why the fuck can't we block? Yeah. They, they, God, they couldn't block. And I, I actually kind of like them saying, hey, look, we're just going to simplify shit. We're going to stop all this pre-snap motion. It's not fooling anybody, and all we're doing is confusing young linemen. All yeah. right. Like let's just simplify everything and just make things work. And I, I think that – it takes a lot of humility to do that because a Canada kind of prides himself on pre-snap motion. You know that's kind of like one of his things for sure. Um, but also, they had already said this is a really simple offense, so I know they're going to get killed in the press for saying they're going to simplify it further. Oh, what this team can't understand the simplest offense in the country. <laughs> You know, like, so I, I think it required a lot of humility for them to come forward and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And I like that because I, 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 it shows that they're w- – one of my bigger beefs with Orgeron so far has been that he's been more concerned with public relations than anything else. And that is a decision that runs totally contrary to public relations and is actually about winning football games. So that's the kind of thing that sells me on a coach. Well, there you go. Like, I really like that. Like, I like that he was willing to take the public relations hit. Now you're a huge O supporter. Huge O supporter. No, I'm not going to be a huge O supporter. But, like, there's a, you know, there's stuff there to like. There's the, I don't know, in the booyah base of crap of the last two games, <laughs> there's stuff bumbling underneath the surface. That's pretty encouraging. Yeah, I, th- I think that's my takeaway. Um and I will admit, you know, going back and forth, there's several people on the site. A lot of people were like, well, is it possible that, like, we just take this state loss a lot more painfully than you do? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. It's totally possible. Because I've basically chalked that game up to, like, wow, we played fucking terribly. And we're never going to play that terribly again. So I'm not saying we're going to play great. I'm just saying I don't think we'll be that bad again. And so, there, you know... I'm not defending myself. I'm just saying that that probably plays into my thought process of not thinking as negatively about the team. Um, but I, I just feel like a lot of people hit the panic button, and I'm like, yeah, let's cool it. Also, I think Syracuse is a little better than we gave them credit for. Yeah, they, they did look better than the credit for. And also, look, their hurry-up offense did give us a little bit of fits. Senior quarterback. Who, See, yeah, who senior quarterback kind of fan. Yeah, I mean, look, 
I don't care that you're optimistic. I, I like optimism. I'm down with optimism. I'm, I'm Mr. Optimism. <laughs> what I didn't like is you just kept saying that I have this double standard for it. And I'm like, look, I was pretty down on Miles as well when bad shit happened. I, I don't think you can – I think I can say – I can separate saying, hey, they played like shit and saying, OK, well, what do we need to do to get better? Like, I think I was able to do that with Miles just as I'm doing with Orgeron. What I don't want us to do is just say, well, Mississippi State really wasn't that bad. No, it was that bad. It was really bad. Absolutely. But you can move on from a game like that. I think you're right when you say, like, Florida State lost to Louisville by 30 points. They, they weren't 30 points worse than Louisville last year. 40 points. 40 points. <laughs> or I wrote, a, you know, I wrote a whole column about how every coach in the top 10, except for Urban, had an embarrassing loss in their first year and you know that's the top 10 like everybody loses in their first year it's just something that happens so what you have to do is be able to compartmentalize it and say okay that's what we're going to build on like that's our example and that's where we get to our worrisome with Syracuse is it still seems that the team is mentally weak like I don't think the problems are physical I really think this is a team when they see adversity, they start they, they start to panic. And they really need to get over that hump. There's just a catastrophe syndrome with this team right now where once one bad thing happens, another bad thing happens, and they expect the third to happen, which becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's, uh, I still think a lot of that is youth. Um, even our, you know, I know we have some veterans on the team, but... We have a lot of young guys playing very big roles, not reserve roles. Like, at this point, I don't know how many freshmen are just basically starters. You kind of just run into that yeah. situation where it's like they haven't been there before. So they don't know a way out of it. They haven't seen, like, yeah. oh, we can get out of this. You know, we, I remember this happened to me before. not a big deal, you know. And also, this is where it comes down. This really is about the coaching because that's something coaching – can really control is being on the sideline. I mean, like, look, this is not a big deal. We yeah. we saw this practice. We did, you know, like I was coaching a game last year where this happened. Don't worry about it. That's in the past. And I think we have a tendency to dwell on past mistakes and we make them worse than they are. And I know it's not a big deal now. We're you know a week and a half past it, but it's sort of like that pass interference call against Mississippi State. It was a bad call, but it's like we were still obsessed with it five days later. We're still petitioning the SEC, trying to get a call about it. You know, I still feel like the players were talking about it. The media was still going on about it. We had guys on the site still saying, like, you know, that's still a terrible call, and the SEC should be ashamed of itself. It's like, get the fuck over it. It was a bad call. Bad calls happen to everybody, and we made it worse than it was. Yeah, they didn't respond well. I mean, I, there wasn't quite a singular moment like that this week. I mean, maybe the safety. Yeah, I think it's the safety was the. But even after gave, the safety, you know, they came back and had what a it was like a fifty yard drive. Yeah, I, it, it what it was actually that punt. Like I know it's it's, it's the play before that. And that was just a killer punt. And like today, like uh, O was saying, you can tell they're going to bench Chark. We 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 know it's coming. And it's like we gave up. You know, 60 yards of hidden yards. And as a big proponent of hidden yards, love to hear something like that. But at the same time, I think they're getting a little bit, 
they're still kind of panicking over one play. Like I think Chark was right not to field the ball. Like it was it was a knuckler. He couldn't get to it in the air. Do you really want your punt returner fielding a hard ground ball with surrounded by five defenders? Like on his own fifteen yard line? There's almost no good that can come from that. Yeah, there was a couple I've seen people criticize his decision making, but I haven't I didn't really have any issues with Yeah, I he was doing right. basically what you're you should do. Like he was playing it by the book almost every single yeah, time. I, I agree with that. I felt he played it like by the book and it, it burnt him and look, it was a perfect punt and it had perfect coverage. Shit happens. And I think he's kind of getting the blame for that. But once again, it was like the team couldn't get over that. It was like, oh, was, you know, what a shit luck. Well, now we're going to obsess over – okay, now we have a safety. And, oh, we shouldn't have had the safety because if only we had fielded that punt. And now they're going to have great field position and they're, you know, we're, they're within two scores. Ah, oh, if they didn't have that safety, if we didn't field that punt, now I have to make it all happen on one play. It's just like they kept trying to make it all up in one play. you got to let shit go. And that's the biggest problem with the team right now. They just can't let shit go. Yeah, from a micro perspective, probably. Uh, but there is progress. I mean, if you, if you, I think one of the things we could take away, and I'm going to write about this tonight for tomorrow, but like, um, the first three weeks, we had horrible pen- penalty issues, and I know we had the stupid penalty, but. We still only had three penalties in the whole game, so... Yeah, no, that was good. I agree with that. You're seeing, you know, this is isolating issues and working on them and fixing them and seeing it go into practice, so... And also, Syracuse is a harder team not to commit uh, procedure penalties on defense against. You know, hurry up offense like that. If they had committed, like, three or four procedure penalties, I kind of would have just looked the other way. I would have been ticked. But you'd been like, yeah, that's just the kind of offense. I think they were really disciplined when it came mm-hmm. to that. Like, and they get a lot of credit for that. Uh, I do think the Chasen hit was really bad. I mean, it was a terrible decision. But one bad decision in an entire game, you know, is going to happen. So uh, I'm not going to harp on that forever. Um, and even like as bad as the blocking was in the first half, in the first half by the offensive line. They kind of sorted the issues out, like midway through the second quarter to about midway through the third. You know that fifteen-minute stretch, the offense looked like its best self. Yeah, like there was a they were blocking. Williams was finding running lanes. Etling was hitting receivers, running free through the secondary. It was exactly what you wanted to see. So there's that tantalizing glimpse of what this team can be, and. As bad as the first half blocking was, it wasn't that much of a problem in the second half. No, not really. I mean, we drove uh, – I think there was one abbreviated drive, the, the Etling's last drive. Yeah. I feel like every other drive it was five to six plays at least. And the, you, know, you also had Brissett got that third – what was it, third and two, third and three, and that really tough run to get a first down. Yeah, that was great to see. I mean, not only a great run by Brissett, but give some credit to the offensive line. They, you know, kind of taken the hit. You know, everyone's questioning whether they can get the blocking. When it mattered, they opened up a hole for their running back. Yeah, good tough running at the end of the game. I mean, that's how you, that's how you ice games. You know, being able to come up with those blocks and and put teams, you know, moving backwards, which has been a 
uh, I don't know. I guess we it's Syracuse, so we don't know. Yeah, yeah, like we I, were I able to move backwards other teams in the past, but I, I don't want to read too much into it. I don't want to completely write off the first quarter and say it didn't happen because it was ugly. That first quarter was terrible, but I also don't want to read too much into the first quarter. Like the offensive line problems kind of sorted themselves out once Canada, I think, said, okay, we're just simplifying the calls for the rest of the game. Yeah. And and that's something that gives me some encouragement. This was a team that actually made adjustments. Yeah, absolutely. Which and, is and a, a concern from last week because everyone was like, you know, we went into the half and it wasn't a disaster yet. And then it just came back and it was like nothing changed. Exactly. Like this game was a closer game. And I would have liked to have won by more points, but at the same time, I think there was a lot of encouraging sides. Like, I, I'm not as panicked as I was after Mississippi State. I, I felt better about the game. Um, on the flip side, it, you know, God, it was you know, it was it was painful to live through. It was. I will. I will not disagree with that. I mean, I feel like the box score looks better than the game was to watch. Yeah. And that's kind of what gave me what made me feel better. As I sat down, and I was expecting to see just an atrocity on the box score. And then you look at it, you're like, "Wow, this is pretty good." And then like Billy does a film review, Seth does a film review, and you're like, "Here's some, you know, I don't want to say excuses, but you know, here's here's what went wrong in this, and it doesn't really look like a systemic issue. It's just they played bad on this play, or one guy misses a block, and you know, then Seth, you know, goes through with the quarterbacks, and you kind of look at it, and you're like. I don't think the game was as bad as it felt. Yeah, I totally agree. That was my uh, feel, too. Like, the further I got from the game, the better I felt about it. Yeah, like, once you start looking at the game and start doing a rewatch, you're like, eh, this is... And and this is something else I wrote about in my box score piece. It was like, this was a game that was dictated by field position. And LSU had terrible field position. And that, once again, could be a real problem going forward. I don't want to completely wave away all issues. Special teams play is a big deal with this team. And we don't know if they're going to come out on the other side of it. But I honestly don't think they're going to spend that many possessions starting from inside their own 10. It's not likely, just by sheer odds. Yeah, their punter had a great game, and it it limits your playbook because all you're trying to do is just get to the twenty yard line and get off a. You're just trying to flip field position at that point because you need to drive you know fifty sixty yards just to get a credible field goal attempt. Yeah, and that's a tall order. So you know LSU was getting thirty yard drives, which normally would result in. Either a field goal or attempt, or at least you know put you in that you know yeah, weird you zone where maybe maybe you can go for it. But you were still deep in your own territory. You gained thirty yards, and you know you're still in your own thirty-five. I guess the, the concern would be we still don't have a special teams coordinator. Yeah, yeah. I think special teams is still a real concern on this team. It's but, a it's a hole. I mean, I. I I think O was gambling that we would get that 10th position, that rule would pass, because he's basically already said that once it does pass, yeah. once it goes into an act and we'll have, you know, that Greg McMahon or whoever, I can't think, I think that's his name, Greg McMahon will be our special teams coordinator, so. 
And also, LSU is really getting burnt by the fact that last year, kickers against us, the, yeah. the LSU opponent kicker would have won the Lou Groza Award. And they're kind of on the same pace this year. And last year's punter, you know, LSU opponent punter, might not have won the Ray Guy Award, but might have been a finalist or a semifinalist for it. And it's on the same pace this year. Like, there's there comes a point where we're just getting really bad luck, where the other team's special teams have just been great against us recently. What's the explanation for that other than just... Just bad luck? Bad I, I don't luck. really think there is one. I, I, I think it's random. Because opponent kicking and opponent punting is one of those things that's really variant from year to year. It's not consistent. Mm-hmm. No matter what kind of special teams you play, it's just that... LSU is just want to run a really bad luck there. And, you know, you just got to – there comes a point where you just – the other team is trying to win too. Yeah. I mean, as a fan, it feels frustrating because I feel like since McGahee left, it just hasn't been the same. Like, we brought back Pivano. Obviously, that was more for recruiting. But yeah. special teams have never been good under either of his two tenures. <laughs> and then we have this year, which we have no – I mean, one of those first things was to, sp- to fire Pivano. And we've seen yeah, some progress, like, you know, changing over kickers so that we kick it out of the end zone. Gamble is finally doing the damn thing we thought he was going to do when we recruited him. Like, that's progress. Yeah, and that's the stuff I care about. Like, I think LSU is doing the stuff they should be doing. Like, the punt game, I think, is – and also, like, Groudon was just having a terrible start to the season. They benched him, yeah, put in at Rosenberg. Like – I think that's the correct move. Kind of, I think the return game has been pretty good. We don't quite have that explosive returner. Um, Trey White was definitely a guy who put uh, your heart in your throat every time he was back there to receive a kick. But he could he could bust one at any time. I, I think now we kind of have the opposite. We, Trump doesn't make me nervous back there. I think he's going to field it just fine. I just don't feel he's going to break it. Yeah, he's not really uh, – he's an explosive player, but I – I don't know. Some guys are just built for the return game, and I'm not sure he is necessarily. I can see their thought because he has the speed to just break one if he hits a seam, but usually great returners make those seams. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, I don't know, with how explosive he's been, I wouldn't mind seeing Greedy Williams back there. Um, You know, Jacoby Stevens, someone like that, maybe get him on the field that way through special teams as a return guy. Um, They've been trying to find ways to get him touches. I I think that might be a a way to do it. Um, I'm not against keeping Chark there. I I don't want him to be the scapegoat uh, for Syracuse as having a great punter. But if they change the return return guy, it also won't break my heart. It was sort of a last-minute call, right? Because who was it that was working there all through the fall? And then they basically just started going Chark, and they asked him, and he was like, he's sure-handed, that's why. Yeah, and I think that's what they they chose stability over explosiveness, and there's a lot to be said for that. You you have to make those kind of calls as a coach, and LSU has basically surrendered the big play so they don't give up big plays, mm-hmm. which is a totally defensible call. Yeah, there's there's logic to it, but I'm with you. I'd like to see like maybe Clyde Edwards Hilaire or someone like that. Yeah. that- but he hasn't shown much in the kickoff game. Yet, no. He so, hasn't. you know, uh, it's it's not like he's forced his way into the punt return role. But I would like them to see 
them try somebody else just just to see. I have a feeling and you're, you're going to get that wish this week. I, I think we are too. Yeah, and it's and it's one last week to tinker. I know we have you know people have been saying, oh, Troy's a better team in Syracuse. I don't think they are. I don't think Troy's very good. Yeah, I'm with you. I I thought that maybe too in the preseason, but after watching Syracuse, yeah. like they're not a they really are they're a middling team. They're not a good team, but they're not a bad team. And Troy lost to a pretty bad Boise State team. We can stop propping up Boise now. Yeah, Boise looks bad this year. And uh, um, Troy had one good Boise by like ten or fifteen points, and also they got dominated the same way like we dominated BYU. Like their offense went nowhere. Yeah, I mean they struggled against New Mexico State and Akron. So yeah, and Akron's always terrible. Yeah, <laughs> sorry zips. Sorry for all of our Zip fan listeners. <laughs> <laughs> we just lost two people. Yeah, they're like, oh, damn, I can't believe you talk shit about the Zips. <laughs> this was the one podcast that kept us out of it. <laughs> but, yeah, I just don't think much of – Troy has not done anything. I haven't watched him this year. I'm not going to lie and say that I've been, like, really tuned in to Troy football. But look at their results. They haven't shown anything. You totally just, like, ripped one of my – unknowingly ripped one of my big game preview bits because I was going to do a thing about uh, how I've watched so much Troy film. (laughs) (laughs) You've just been locked in, like, game tape studying them. (laughs) You know, like, uh, the clockwork orange, like, have your eyes peeled open. Um, Yeah, they're just... Nothing about them impresses me from just looking at the stats. They're... I'm not going to say they're horrible because they're not horrible, but they're not good. And... LSU needs a needs a win, and not just a nine point win. They need a convincing win, and this is their last chance to get one before you know the SEC season starts in earnest. Yeah, like what? A, let's talk about that. Uh, I mean, at some point you have your whole like uh, your resume boosting. You know, beat these teams by thirty, so it looks good on paper. Kind of bullshit. Um, <laughs> So what kind of things do you want to see on Saturday to show like this team making progress? Like I feel like last week we got the reduction in penalties. Um, yeah. And we kind of just cleaned up. Like we didn't we looked more efficient, more we just looked like a better team. But look obviously we look like shit against Mississippi State. Would have hard to would have been yeah. hard to look worse. So You know what? I would like for something bad to happen and the team to react well. Yeah, that's a good I point. Like, like, I would like for them to turn the ball over and then them get a stop. Or, you know, I'd like them to give up a big score and then respond with a big score themselves. Like, just something like that. Just something that shows that they've reacted well to adversity. Because I do think that's the biggest problem with this team. And I don't want a ton of adversity against Troy, but I want them to have a moment where they're just like, oh, not again. And them to respond. Yeah, that's a good. You know, take take a bad penalty and then get a th- you know you know score anyway, or you know force them to punt on the next. You know, never don't let up another first down, something like that. That would be your. That would show progress for you. Yeah, I, I think it would because I, I, it's the mental game. I think is the weakest part of the team right now. Yeah, and, and tying along with that, I'd like to see fewer mental mistakes, which I feel like account for 
a lot of the blocking issues because we had guys like running the wrong way on plays. I mean, that's just that's yeah. pure yeah. mental shit, you know? Yeah. Um, on yeah. both sides of the ball. I mean, just guys knowing their assignments and doing the right fucking thing. Like that, just do the right thing. Yeah, and I also agree. I would like to see the offensive line block for 60 minutes. Yeah. Well, honestly, like I feel like heading into Florida week, Florida is not very good. And I they're fortunate to be where they are record-wise. But they're not a no, good team. If you've watched them play, they're not good. So I, I feel have like watched if LSU them. plays well, like just play intelligently, they will take care of business in Gainesville. It's, you know, we said the same thing about Florida last year as well. And – this is a team that's just got a horseshoe rammed so far up their ass. And I know people said that about Les Miles LSU teams, but like Florida is nine and one in their last 10 games decided by a score. Nine and one. That's ridiculous. And they've beaten both Tennessee and Kentucky on last second, pl- you know, last minute scores. Tennessee, literally the last play. And against Kentucky, they got. One of the biggest gift holding calls of all time in order to keep Kentucky out of field goal range. Yeah, if beyond that, they got two plays where the wide receiver was completely fucking uncovered. Like, yeah, that. literally. What is that? Like, it was just like. And even with all that, they still needed an egregious holding call to win the game. <laughs> yeah. Like, Florida is just. But the thing is, they keep winning. And. There's two ways to look at it. One, it's like, hey, wins count. Like, this is a team they've now won the East twice in a row. They're winning nine games a year. You know, there's something to be said for that. Like, they're still a successful program. So, you know, wins count. Sure. On the flip side, it is really hiding some real rot in that program. This is a five and seven, six and six program that's winning nine games a year, which is, and because they keep winning nine games, they're not going to change anything. And I thought this was a year things were going to come home to roost, but apparently not. They're they're going to win ten games this year. You know, <laughs> just, you know, it's it's freaking amazing. But in a way, winning games like this is hurting them because they have fallen out of the elite country as well. I mean, they're nowhere close to Alabama. No. And as long as they keep winning games like this, there's no incentive for them to improve their program. Yeah, I was I was keeping an eye on the game with my brother-in-law, who is a Florida fan, and yeah, his basic takeaway was Jim McElwain is so fucking lucky. Like he can't stand McElwain, but he basically for the reasons you just outlined, like they're not a good team, but they keep winning games, and so he knows that <laughs> that they're not going to do yeah, anything about McElwain. Like he's still winning games. He's winning games big time. I mean. And look, Tennessee basically did everything they could to lose against them. That was the, one of the most incompetently coached games I think was, I've ever seen. It was seen a big effort to lose. I mean, Florida didn't win that game. Tennessee lost it. Like, it was amazing what Tennessee did to lose that game. And Kentucky is just – they're just fucking cursed you know, when they play Florida. And, yeah, and then also, hey, maybe cover a wide receiver. I, you know, you don't even need good coverage, but probably having a guy there is pretty important. Um, I saw yeah, my favorite tweet about that was the Stoops was like, we're going to have two guys now dedicated to making sure the wide receivers are covered. And someone retweeted that and was like, the rest of us call those cornerbacks. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, and 
also, like, how does that happen? Like, you know, Kentucky's yeah. lining up. Not one guy looks at it and goes, hey, that wide receiver's standing out there by himself. I might want to walk out there and cover him. It legitimately like, happens, like, once a season for one team. Like, it's like a once-in-a-blue-moon thing. You're like, oh, shit, that's a bust. That's yeah, nothing. it happens twice. Like, to happen twice, just, oh, my God, just... Kentucky was the better team, and they just screwed it up. Like, and that's just because they're Kentucky, and that's what happens. Yeah, it, did, it does have me think. I kind of jokingly said this to my brother-in-law. I was like, well, I mean, maybe McIlwain has really coaches, like, mentally tough teams. I mean, if you could say anything about Florida. I, I will give them that. They, they, they are kind of the opposite in LSU in that sense. When the chips are down, Florida thinks something's going to go their way. Mm-hmm. They do not panic. And you know what? In college, that means a lot. Yeah, because uh, the emotional game kind of gets derided by a lot of you know stat people and scout people. But in college, it means a ton. The fact that Florida keeps an even keel and sincerely believes that something good is going to happen to them because it has in the past. So why wouldn't it in this game? Is actually a huge asset to that team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they out-mentally toughed us last year. That's why they beat us last year. I think so. I, 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 they 100% out-mentally out toughed LSU last year. You know, they, they were out-physicaled out all over the field, but they out-mentaled, and that won the game. Yeah. It, I mean, barely, but it did. It did win the game. Hey, you know, it does, you know what barely wins show up as in the, in the standings? Show up as wins. That's true. You know, all you got to do is win by one. I'm looking forward to that game. I mean, I think it's it's a yeah, it's a very good bellwether test for a young team. After it really is. really melting down on the road in your first SEC game, you know, it's a, it's a good measuring stick for us, even if Florida is not a great team. Yeah, and if they thought Mississippi State was a tough place to play on the road, get a little of the swamp. Yeah. Now, luckily, it'll be a day. Luckily, it'll be a day game, so it won't be quite as crazy in there. But the swamp is a t- is a terrifying venue. I uh, just suddenly realized that that game is at a twelve thirty Eastern kickoff, right? Yeah, oh, I thought it was two thirty, but if it's oh, twelve thirty, it, this is showing my it's showing my times. That's why. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So it's twelve thirty for me. I was like, oh man, I'm gonna get to watch this game at nine thirty in the morning. Great. No, no, I think it's two thirty. It's a, um, I think it's the CBS game. Sweet. All right. So no Vern, but you know we, he will be there in our hearts. In That's our true. Hearts. Well, I'm sure we'll have plenty of Florida to talk about next week. Um, yeah, I don't want to get too into that. And also, I want to see how they play against Vanderbilt. I'm sure they'll be Vanderbilt somehow. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you want to do questions? Or is there anything else relevant we should talk about? No, I think no, I think we've covered everything. No, it's it's a slow week. I don't want to. You know, do the whole season at once. So, yeah, let's do questions. All right. Um, well, the first one is kind of more of a comment, but he, the Mets theory says, uh, if I post this on time, I'll be bordering on consistency. But he concludes that with, won't that be a happy development, which I think is snarky. I, I think that is snarky, and that hurts our feelings. You it know does. what? We're people, too. That hurts our feelings. And I know what? Fuck consistency. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? You need a little bit of you know something crazy and random in your life. You can't count on things. You can't count on people. 
So I'm going to set this to go immediately after the LSU game concludes on Saturday night. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, Alan Savant. Uh, he hasn't tweeted me to tell me I'm saying his name wrong, which I probably am. Is it possible that fans expect this team to already be in year three of this offense and the freshmen to be playing like seniors, like fifth-year seniors already? Um, Canada's offense worked in year one at Pitt, so... We'd like it to work the same way it did at year one there. And fifth-year seniors honestly aren't that good because that means they were, you know, <laughs> first off, so you know, they were redshirt their first year and then stayed four years because they weren't drafted. Um, I think we're asking them to play with their talent levels. Look, every player on this team was a member of a top-ten recruiting class. Yeah. Except I think for Corey Thompson because he's just been there forever. Um <laughs> Yeah, so, the 1971 recruiting class. Like yeah, the 1971 recruiting class was not nearly as highly <laughs> rated as the rest of them. <laughs> so, no, we're, we're expecting these guys to live up to what they were billed to be. Um, freshman, sophomore, senior, it doesn't matter. You know, you're supposed to be good, play good. Yeah, I do, I do think there is a bit of, like, over-expectation for immediate, like, dominance and it didn't help by the first two weeks of being dominant and our freshmen looked great. And it's, it was like, Oh man, these freshmen aren't going to miss a beat. And now they are missing beats. So I think there's a little bit of that, but it's not, I'm not, you know, you don't get a break for that. It's yeah. That's kind of my point. It's like, look, no one wants to hear excuses. Like everybody's dealing with early graduations these days or early defections, in the NFL. This is not an LSU problem. This is every good program has to deal with that. Yeah, and um, I think uh, we're probably more. Uh, I don't know. There's more to that. Yeah, than we're I, affected by it more than most programs, but we should still have more talent than Mississippi State. Yeah, there's just higher roster turnover. Yeah, yeah, you can't debate that. Whatever, I'll yeah. write about it later. <laughs> like, look, we'll give you a pass for losing to Alabama. If this team loses to Alabama, I'm not going to be pissed. Beat Mississippi State. Like that's what I'm going to be pissed about. Like, I think that's fair. Yeah, or at least just don't get destroyed. Yeah, don't get destroyed. Uh, all right, Vinny wants to know, will Punisher bring back the luster that the Netflix Marvel series lost with Iron Fist and Defenders? Ugh, God. I haven't watched Iron Fist or Defenders. I honestly really like Defenders. Iron Fist had its problems. I, what I liked about Defenders is it kind of used Iron Fist being a doofus to its advantage and became kind of a plot point. That he's an adolescent child who doesn't know how to work in the world. Like, so I thought Defenders was pretty good. I th- it was definitely better than Iron Fist. I honestly hate the Punisher as a character. It's it's fucking fascist. There's no other way around it. It's it's a guy murdering other criminals in, you know, extrajudicial ways. And I know like most superheroes are vigilantes, but they tend to have some sort of coda ethics that kind of justifies it. The Punisher is pretty much just straight fucking killing people. And that said, I'm sure the Netflix series is going to be fucking awesome because the guy they have playing the Punisher is perfect and it's going to be brutal and bloody and it's going to be fun. And yeah, everyone's going to love it. It's, and it's going to, there's going to be a little part of me that's going to be like, this is terrible, but I'm still going to enjoy it too. (laughs) I love the Punisher. Yeah, like when I say this is terrible, I don't mean from an actual execution standpoint. I mean from a like a moral standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. I mean, the Punisher is like the id. I mean, it's the, 
I guess that's his role. I don't know. Yeah, like he works better as a supporting character. Yeah, for me, like I always think he works well as a counterbalance to Daredevil whenever he shows up in a Daredevil comic. Yeah, he's but on his own. Oh God, I just ah God, I can't stand him. But am I locked in? Sure, I am. He's gonna kill a whole bunch of people. (laughs) (laughs) Um. With an impressive arsenal, too. He always has the most amazing fucking weapons. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm like, I'm not made of stone. It's a guy shooting a whole bunch of people. I'm going to watch. Vinny, again, most of my friends insist on watching the Thursday NFL game over Maction, which we haven't really had this year yet. Um, how do I get them the help they need, or is it too late? It's A, it's probably too late. But this Thursday, Texas versus Iowa State. And if you can't get excited by the prospect of the Cyclones upsetting Texas, uh, I don't want to know yet because that sounds great. Like <laughs> Texas is going to travel to Ames, Iowa. You know they don't want to. You know they're going to play like crap. And Iowa State's pretty frisky. There's a chance. Hey, fair and, or not, these are the games that Tom Herman has struggled with in his young coaching career. Oh, I totally agree. Like, it, it, he's much better at playing the USC's of the world than the Iowa State's. And, yeah, it, this could be one of the more enjoyable Thursday games. But, yeah, we haven't had a good Maction game. And I do love Maction, but um, we need to get more – wait for Toledo to show up. Because Toledo is definitely, I think, the quintessential Mac team. They tend to score like 60 points and – they're a blast. Yeah, that's true. Uh, NFL's kind of going, it's uh, popularity's declining, so you might have that in your favor, too. Yeah, there you go. Like, yeah, and no one in the Mac is going to take a knee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God damn it. <laughs> um, By the way, neither of us give a shit. I just want to say that for the record. <laughs> I, I, that's been put out like the best piece about it, which I retweeted. I don't know if you read that, but it was basically like, this is all bullshit. Oh, it totally is. Like, my whole thing is, like, we're arguing about posture. Who gives a fuck? I mean, like, I'm like, and some people say, well, it's really about, you know, Black Lives Matter and, you know, like, uh, the systemic problems with the criminal justice system. Like, that's what it was about last year. This year, it's about posture. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah, I agree. Like, that, yeah, I don't know. It's it's no longer about that. It's. It's about the proper way to stand or sit or kneel during the anthem. And I, I, I can't bring myself to give one, even the tiniest fuck. I should drink more often before podcasts. <laughs> uh, all right, John Desonet. That's how I'm going to say his name. Desonet. Uh, are offensive line deficiencies a result of scheme or lack of personnel or a mixture of both? I think it's... The lack of depth is clearly hurting the team. Um, so personnel, I think, is the number one issue. But also, I just think I don't think it's schemes so much. It's just guys missing blocks. Yeah, it goes uh, back to the mental issue. I, I just think guys are just tuning out, and all it takes is for one guy to miss something for the whole thing to fall apart. And like, also, like Darius Geis was terrible in in uh, pass protect. Yeah, he like uh, not. A good I mean, guy. just. Just, I mean, look, he's a star running back. I, I get it. But he's hurt. He's not supposed to be out there. Don't ask Darius guys to block. Like, no good can go with that. Yeah, that's a, that would be the worst way for him to get hurt. Too. It's like more hurt, too. Uh, I don't know. I mean, personnel doesn't help. We're thin. 
or starting a freshman at right guard. I don't know. I, I think that one, the right guard thing is probably causing most of the issues for whatever reason. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. All right, Jacob Hibbert has like three or four questions, so let's go through them. Uh, who do you guys listen to for college football analysis and commentary because he's gotten sick of friend of the site, Barrett Sally? Yeah. And Paul Feinbaum. Wow. Well, <laughs> I can't imagine how you get sick of those guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I still love college game day. That's still the best. That's the gold standard. They're fun. They get it. Um, I have the Sirius XM has a show. Believe it or not, Rick Neuheisel is pretty good. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, like Rick Neuheisel is just I, I enjoy listening to. Him. I'm not gonna say he's the you know the greatest mind of all time, but I, you know, like he he kind of cuts to the you know cuts to the core of the matter. But I tend to read, and it's basically going through Twitter and just whoever strikes my fancy. Um, I'm not loyal to any one writer, but if somebody says something that looks going to be interesting, I'll I'll try and read it. I, I tend to also like read the individual team sites. Uh, I'll pimp SB Nation. I think we have a pretty good network that almost all of the team sites are pretty good. I, I like reading what their take is on on their teams. I think everybody, while it's colored through the fan lens, they tend to be pretty fair. Yeah, I think so. Um I like uh, well to go opposite of you, I guess. I like Mike Felder from Bleacher Report. He usually has oh, really, yeah, yeah. he's hilarious yeah, he's just generally, yeah. but he has yeah. really good insight when he's talking college football. Um, uh, podcast ain't played nobody. Bill and Stephen Godfrey. Oh yeah, definitely. It's a yeah, good, good good podcast for listening. Good for analysis. They they ask interesting questions, which I think is to me more interesting than listening to someone tell me what happened in a game. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm I I approach it also. National days. kegs and eggs really good on Bleacher oh, yeah. Report. Yep. Yeah, he's great. Uh, he does less like football analysis. Yeah, no, he's my kind of guy. But he's a great feature writer. Uh, Smart football is also really good. Yeah, that's a good one. He talks about NFL a lot too, but he uh, he's good for. He's good for X's and O's stuff. Yeah, and of course, Bill Connolly is our, you know, he's our spirit animal. Yeah. That, that's a few. I mean, I, I'm the same as you. You know, my my Twitter feed is pretty much loaded with national college football writers. And outside of, like, you know, Andy Staples and Bruce Feldman, who pretty much everyone knows. Yeah, you know. It, it's your normal. I, I, like, um, I like Matt Zemeck. You know, he used to write for college football um, news, but now he's independent. Yep. I think he's pretty interesting. Um, he tends to have good takes. He He's also a big picture thinker, which I like. So you won't always agree with him, but I like that he tries to take the 10,000-foot view sometimes. Yeah, and also, SB Nation, everyone follows him. But Spencer Hall, like, if when yeah. Spencer writes serious stuff, it's usually probably the best thing you're going to read that day. I agree with that. He's a great yeah. writer. Um, yeah, Spencer's the best. He usually just now, because of his various other responsibilities, writes like, doof, you know, goofy stuff a lot. Uh, and his goofy it's stuff's just, fun, it's too, fun too, but yeah. Okay. Um, next question he had. Uh, has LSU become a rebuilding job for O, or are we just taking end of the, end of the Miles era hysteria and applying it to O? 
look, I, the goal is always 10 wins. If it's still on the table, it's still the goal. Yeah, that's what we've talked about on here routinely from, from the offseason through now. It hasn't changed my – there's going to be another question related to that topic. We'll get into it in a second. But um, I don't think it's a rebuilding job. I don't know. Let, I'm going to answer that question when the other, with the other question because it, it's a little more specific. Well, before you get into that, I will say that he has made it more difficult on himself, but I don't think that's entirely a bad thing. Um, I'll use uh, Charlie Strong as an example at Texas. When he arrived at Texas, he kicked like 10 or 15 guys off the, off the squad. Yep. And everyone's like, oh, what a tough, you know, what a hard SOB. What a, you know, what a great coach. Well, what that essentially did is that not only only have 75 scholarship players, he's essentially put his own team on probation. Only without the excuse of probation. I think what O has done, I don't think he's driven guys off or anything like that, though. You know, you had your normal turnover. But I think he is by design playing a whole bunch of freshmen because they're his guys. And so there's some, you know, there's mistakes in losing that come with that strategy. But it is him making the program in his own image. So it's an acceptable risk. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a fair way to term it. Um, yeah, I think that's right. How far away are we from realistically being competitive for a title again, and what do we need to get to there? Um, we need Alabama to not be as great. Um, let's be honest. Alabama's the 800-foot gorilla of college football right now. They're on a run. Right now, I think they're the right now. I think the current Alabama dynasty is the greatest dynasty in the history of college football, and I don't really think it's that close. I don't think there's too many other contenders. So you you don't need them to collapse, but you need them to step back to the field because what makes it doubly difficult for LSU is not only can you not win the SEC, you can't you're you really can't win the SEC West until Alabama comes back to the fold just a little bit. And it has that extra element of that it's totally demoralizing. Um because if you were, you know, in the Big Ten West or, you know, you can still win the Big Ten West, and you still have a goal that you can say, hey, we did that. You know, we made the championship game, and we can build on that next year. Well, LSU doesn't have that because they're going to lose to Bama. And, you know, there's it's, it's hard to build yourself incrementally because the first step is beat the best program in the nation. And once you've done that, you're already on top of the mountain. So there's no incremental path. And I think mentally that becomes really hard for a team. Yeah, there. Yeah, I think we're, uh, Bama regressing a bit is a big part of it. Um, I am still not one hundred percent convinced. I don't think this Bama team is as good as they they have been, and I know they obliterated totally Vanderbilt, agree. but like, I don't really care. I, <laughs> Vanderbilt is fine for Vanderbilt. You know, they're they're good for Vanderbilt, but they are still Vanderbilt. So I wasn't like that blown away that they like I expected them to destroy Vanderbilt. Um, no, I agree with you. I think there's there are holes in this team that have not existed in previous Alabama teams. Yeah. The program is still at that level, though, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. And and when I say, you know, let's be clear here. They're still great. Like, they are they are and they're in my playoff. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not talking about them being bad here. Um, yeah, yeah. But if they, if they lost two games this year, I wouldn't be, like, totally blown away. You know, that's... So, but it, that it's also, and this happens every single time someone beats them. By the way, you, 
we get a slew of articles talking about the formula to beat Bama, and then they just yes. turn around and, like, murder those teams. <laughs> like, A&M had the formula, and then Alabama's now beating them by, like, 30 points every year, you know? So it's... Yeah. It's going to be hard to consistently to have similar talent to them. Yeah, exactly. They're not beating you through scheme. They're not beating you because they're great at X's and O's. I don't think Saban is that bad as X's and O's coach, but I don't think he's a great X's and O's coach. What he is is the greatest recruiter in the history of college football. He has more more talent than you. Well, and they have like a limitless staff. Yeah, that too. They can coach a lot. Yes. Okay. Um, Katie wants to know if we're going to see more of Brissett in the upcoming weeks. Um, I think we will because I don't think we're going to see Geis this week. And you're going to need people to split the carries. And that was, you know, that was a heroic run you know, that he had. Like, that's the kind of thing you want to see. Honestly, it was a very Daryl Williams run from previous years. So as Williams has expanded his role, it looks like Brissett's going to slide into the old Daryl Williams short yardage banger role. Yeah, I talked a lot in the offseason about I had high hopes for Brissett this year. It hasn't really materialized yet, but um, those types of runs are the ones that will get coaches' attention. So I imagine he'll see a nice steady diet of care this week. Um, and who knows with guys coming back, but maybe they'll – Find more stuff for him, you know. If you if you're gonna run hard like that, you're gonna get yourself in the game. Yeah, I, I agree. Um. Okay, let's do this question first. Then I have back to back questions from okay from Hemi Kane. Um. So Chris wants to know if you bring back any previous LSU player to fill a weakness on this team, who would it be? Um, Eric Andelsek. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, one of the greatest guard offensive linemen. He plays guard. Uh, put him right in the offensive line. I think that's exactly you put in. That's the biggest question on the team right now is offensive line. I, I would absolutely grab one of the many great offensive linemen in LSU history. I'd probably grab Eric Andelsek. If you're not if you're not sure that a 1980s player will translate, then, you know, you can just, you know, uh, you know, uh, get like, you know, Whitworth or something like that. Yeah. I was, I, I was thinking the exact same thing. I was going to say Lael Collins or Andrew Whitworth <laughs> and put, put him at left tackle. Cause I don't think Carl Malone is a terrible player, but I'm not sure he's a great left tackle, but if you put him at right guard, he might be really, really good. And then right. you solve your offensive line problems, but yeah, at least from a, a starting five standpoint. You know. Yeah, I think we both would go offensive line. That's a, yeah, if I can only take one player, I'm still taking the lineman. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which says a lot about this team. I mean, that means we're pretty good at a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. look, there's a lot of talent. That's how come I don't want to buy any argument where they say, oh, this team doesn't have any talent. Bullshit. This team is really talented. There's a lot of really good players all over the, line, you know, all over the lineup. And there's not a whole lot of, I mean, guys you would take out. I mean, yeah, like it'd be great if you could play, you know, the honey badger in there. But who are you going to take out of the secondary right now? I guess yeah, you take out Battle, but like he's played pretty well. Like it's not like this. It's not like the secondary is a huge concern right now. Yeah, I, I just I think it's young talent growing up. You know, I, yeah. So I think that's part of it. But so Mike the Tiger, we I got your email, and 
He asks, if Phil Fulmer and Charlie Weiss, both in their prime, entered a pie-eating contest, who wins? Ooh, that's a good question. You know what? I will never doubt Philip Fulmer. That, that guy, I think he has the commitment. I, I think Charlie Weiss uh, just does not have the same stick to as Philip Fulmer. He also followed that up with, do either of them have what it takes to take on Mark Mangino? We're going Ooh, through all the no. fat guy coaches here. No, no, no. Mark Mangino is a god amongst fat people. Bielema is just working his way up that chain, though. He is, but he's more angry than fat. I think Mangino's defining characteristic is fatness. Yeah, that's true. Well, you know, well, Bielema is just anger. I just can't believe how big Bielema has gotten. Yeah, he yeah he has no neck. His head just goes straight into his chest. Yeah, I mean, he's always been a bigger guy, but like... He's gotten wider as the years. Yeah, he, he's yeah he, he's not pleasant, but like he's still at like Rick Majerus levels. <laughs> oh gosh! Um, all right, last two questions from uh, I, I can't remember what his name is on the comments, but he's Hemi Kane on Twitter. Um, so first he asks, "What do you think our record will be at the end of the year?" Now, because he thought. Preseason, we'd be like 10 and 2, 11 and 1 possible, but now he's thinking we're more like 8 and 4, 7 and 5. Uh, well, let's look at it. You have, uh, let's just talk Alabama to a loss, right? And we'll say Troy's a win. So that gives you a 7 conference games left. Uh, six other conference games left. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Alabama and AM both looked, I mean, excuse me, Arkansas and AM just had a derpathon. Neither one of them are very good. Tennessee's awful. And uh, um, Ole Miss is still struggling with losing you know, their entire roster. That's four incredibly winnable games. Now, LSU is not so good. They can't, they can't lose any of those games. And they, you know, they can't just waltz in and just expect a win. But those are four games I think LSU should win. Um, so that gets you that, you know, that gets you to eight wins right there. And then you have Florida and Auburn are the two best teams left on the schedule. And that's kind of the sticky widget right there, because you would rather them be playing, playing them later in the season. Like, cause you could beat some teams that you can beat, get some confidence. The problem is you're going to play them early. And if you go out, lose to Florida, lose to Auburn, all of a sudden, those four games, which are very winnable games for LSU, become must-wins. And then I could see them losing you know, one, two, even three of those games just because this team's been mentally weak and they start to unravel. So it's critical they at least go one and one in those that Florida-Auburn series. Uh, if they go two and oh, they're off to the races and 10 wins is on the table again. So... I think the safe bet is eight, nine wins, but I'm not ruling out 10 wins just yet. The SEC is terrible. Yeah, that's what I'm looking up and down the schedule. I was like, so I got us, I'll do, I'll be more cut and dry than you. Versus Troy, win. Versus Florida, win. Versus Auburn, loss. At Ole Miss, win. At Bama, loss. Beat Arkansas, beat Tennessee, beat a and I mean, I think, yeah, 10 wins. I, uh, I'm still there. <laughs> I still think yeah, we do it. Yeah, it, it's still very much on the table, but I primarily think, because all of those teams are so bad. Like those teams yes. have not looked good at all. That's the big reason this, I believe that. 
this is not LSU is awesome. This is the SEC is terrible. <laughs> yes. But I do think that Florida Auburn stretch is huge. You need yeah. to win one of those two just for the confidence boost. Because if you're zero and three with Bama looming and you need to win those other four games, things get dicey with this team. Yep. I could see them packing in their tents. Yep, and it, it's still uh, again. I keep saying it's a younger team, and younger teams are mercurial. So you might get a great effort and beat someone like Alabama and then lose to Tennessee. I mean, that's yeah. totally that on the table. That was my pick. Like, but also, I thought Tennessee would be a lot better than they are right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's my – my opinion might change as the season wears on if some of these teams start to improve. But just from the way they've played so far, none of them have looked – Good at all. Good at all. I mean, they just look terrible. A and M at least has Christian Kirk, and you can have a thing if two bad teams are playing. Take the team that has the best player in the field, and if Darius Geis is hurt and Arden Key is, you know, still not healthy. Yep. You can make an argument when LSU plays A and M, the best player on the field will be Christian Kirk, which means you should pick A and M. Yeah. Sure. All right, so the follow-up to this is why I left it at the end. Hemi Kane again says, so if this dud, let's just, let's go nightmare scenario. This is a dud, like six and six or worse. Yeah. What do you do? Um, in his opinion, like he, what he means, what do you do? He basically says, you got to keep O because it's terrible to fire a coach after one year. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what, what's your course of action? I mean, I think you got to stick it out. My my biggest gripe with the athletic department is that they haven't had a plan. And I, I feel that they've just been – you know, we talked about it last week. I feel they've gone from pole to pole. Like they wanted to get rid of Miles. They wanted to do it for two years. They finally did it. And then they hired – they basically did an internal hire and promoted from within, which why are you firing a guy if you're trying to keep continuity? Like I feel this has been an athletic department that just – doesn't have a clear plan. So I think no Matt, unless they go O and eight, which I don't think they will, you keep O like you have to show some commitment to your plan. And once again, part of O strategy was, Hey, I'm going to play a whole bunch of kids and that's a risky gambit, but it should pay dividends down the line. So, you know, you gave up something this year to be a better team next year. So, I think you stick with it. You don't want to be doing this again next season. Yeah, I, right now it feels a lot like we are 2016 Georgia, who similarly fired a successful coach, had recruited well. They're kind of our spiritual sisters in the conference. Yeah. You know, and they, they fired a good coach that wasn't getting them to greatness, and we just did the same thing. Um, they hired a coach with – no head coaching experience. We hired one with bad head coaching experience and light coordinating duties. Um, they hired a coach with direct personal ties to the school. You know, we hired yep. a coach with direct, you know, so it's, a, there's a lot of mirror images there. No, it's um, a great comp. I agree. So that team struggled, you know, they ended up eight and five, but you know, they barely beat Nichols. They, they just lumped, you know, they kind of like stumbled through the season to the point they that everyone that Tennessee they gave away a Tennessee game last year on the final play. They took a huge they loss one. to a team from Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, at Mississippi. So, I mean, it's sort of weird, you know, that just there's all these weird parallels between the two. Um, and this year the early returns are good, you know, they're not deep enough into their schedule and I, I guess your mileage may vary on how good the 
uh, Notre Dame win is or how good Mississippi State is, I guess, who they absolutely destroyed. Um, but it looks good. You know, like year two of Kirby Smart looks really good after year one looked rough. So, yeah, I mean, that's what you're kind of hoping. You're hoping to see the groundwork being laid this year and think, you know, like you said, I was playing young players. He's putting in his he's making it his program and sort of picking off those calluses that grew up in the miles yeah. era that kept us from being great, which is what we have complained. That's why we fired him, right? So, Yeah, uh, no, I totally agree. I think that's also a great comp, and particularly if Georgia does really well this season. But it, it's, it's have, some, have some faith in your decisions. Yeah. You know, you chose, you know, Orgeron to be the coach. That was what you did. You know, you sat down and, you know, when you had the press conference, you said this was our first choice. This was the guy we wanted to hire. Whether people believe it or not, it doesn't matter. That was what you said. And if you believed it was the right decision – you know, last November, you should believe it's the right decision right now. Like, you should not twist that easily in the wind. I mean, you know, have some balls. <laughs> like, seriously. Like, stand by your man for at least two years. I- I'm not asking for the world there. Yeah, I totally agree. It, it, the instability isn't good. It also doesn't invite uh, – a great coach to want to come there. Yeah. And, I mean, and if no you're going to do it, you're going to cut bait. You better cut bait with Oliva too. I mean, that's- and I also know that, you know, people say like, well, Frank Wilson might get hired by Tennessee this year. You know, we might miss out on our guy. You know what? There's always going to be another hotshot coach coming up. Yep. Don't worry about coaching talent. There's always going to be someone. Yep. Like, cause last year was supposed to be a fallow field. And all of a sudden PJ Fleck came out of nowhere. You know, Jeff Brom, you know, was a big, was a big name. Like it was just every year there's going to be guys. Don't worry about it. They'll be there. Yeah, I totally agree. There, we, you know, if all goes disastrously and there will be a coach, whenever it goes downhill, whatever that, whatever that end looks like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's in two years or 10 years, there will be somebody. Yes. And it's, I, someone commented this on one of our articles the other day where they were like, what if LSU is just not a destination for a great coach anymore? A great coach doesn't want to come here. It's going to take a lot to make LSU not a destination for a great coach. Like, yeah, like a lot. Notre Dame hasn't won a national title since, what, 89? Yeah. Right. And they played in one championship game since there. And they've been a good program, but they haven't been great for pretty much 25 years. And they still get the pick of the litter. Now, I also realize it's Notre Dame and coaches have a longer memory than players, but it does give you the idea of how long memory lasts. LSU has been a very good program for 20 years now. And that was on top of the remembrance of this should always be a good program. Coaches are going to want to come. Now, are you always going to be able to get like the very top name? Eh, Maybe not. But honestly, I think that's a lazy way to look for hires. You want an up and comer. Yeah, absolutely. There was an interesting. So, I don't. Did you see that article today on Sports on Earth by? Uh, I think it was David Ubin or Ubin. I don't know how you say his name. But it was a. It, they, he interviewed Les, and it was basically about being on the hot seat and athletic departments hiring coaches. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the problems with I haven't read the article, but I think one of the problems with the SEC is we've gotten lazy in, lazy in our hires. We've taken guys that are like mid career. And the ACC has been taking guys at the beginning of their career. And I think right now the ACC has a better pool of coaches because they have younger up-and-coming coaches right now. 
Yeah, part of the article, a lot of it is Tuberville quotes, but Tuberville basically says that he hates all of the athletic departments going to search firms to do their coaching yeah. searches because they don't understand, which I get is a very middle, I mean, to term coaches as middle managers in the huge complex of athletic departments is what I mean, uh, which is kind of what they are. Um, it is a very middle management complaint you're going to hear in the industry, like, oh, my superiors don't really know the hard work that I do, but... To his point, like he says, like look at Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin, who I guess a lot of search, search firms consult with to get information on like how to hire a coach because he knows how to interview and what to look for, and he's had a pretty good track yeah. record. So yeah, I mean, uh, there are always going to be coaches available. So I and I don't I don't see LSU diminishing to the point of where like like LSU didn't get Tom Herman last year because Texas. Because Texas, that's why. Yeah. Just because of Texas, not like. And, and, and let's be honest, like you don't need a search firm except unless you need the unless you need the intermediary, so it's not going through you. Yeah. Because otherwise, you could just outsource it to whatever your college's message board is. They can come up with a pool of candidates. Now, some of them are going to be unrealistic, but you can, you know, in the AD's office, monitor their coaching board and come up with a pretty good short list of names that you might want. And that goes to like every school, like right now, like, you know, Ohio state, I'm sure some people are pissed at, you know, urban and they have a list of five or six coaches that are pretty good on, on their board. If you were, you know, just trolling their board, just writing stuff down saying, okay, I could come up with, you don't need the firm. The reason you need the firm is so you can make contact with coaches so they can say, Oh, I've never talked with LSU. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's the only reason you need a search firm. Otherwise, they're not giving you – there's no value add to them. I mean, look, there's only, what, 120 coaches in college football. I mean, it doesn't take that much time to do your research. No, exactly. I mean, if that's your job to identify, and then some of them you can just eliminate because they're you know either too old or you know they're not good. You, know, you can be like, oh, well – you know, Matt D'Antoni, really good coach at Michigan State. He's also 70. You know, we can cross him off the list. Right. <laughs> you, know, you know, Hugh Freeze. Nah, we probably don't want him. <laughs> like, cross him off the list. Like, it's you can you can narrow down a list pretty easily, and pretty if you make it regional. This weekend was also good evidence for just that. No coaching is a sure, you know, no coach is a sure bet. Even someone who's no. been successful. Jimbo Fisher just lost, and I know NC State is pretty good, but if you looked at, you know, there was a tweet going around with the war, the warchant.com message board, which was all of FSU fans, like, wanting to fire Jimbo Fisher, who, you know, legitimately brought their program back to greatness, so. Yeah, as a guy who has spilled words on that we didn't want Jimbo Fisher, um, that's dumb. Jimbo Fisher's still a really good coach. Yeah. Like, I didn't want him because I think he's kind of at his plateau, if that makes any sense. But firing him if you're a Florida State's insane. He, yeah, he, he got you back to the promised land. He's a really good coach. I, I never said he wasn't a very good coach. And also, I know he hasn't won a game yet, and it's funny to talk about. Part of that's because of the Hurricanes, and like he just hasn't had chances. And look who he's lost to. He lost to Alabama, who's great, and NC State, who's a really good team and was really pumped to win that game. Like, so let's not let's not even throw out Florida State's season yet. No, it's it's way too early, and they yeah. lost their starting quarterback. 
Yeah, like, uh, I, you know, and also, like, same with Tom Herman. Like, it's just, like, in the end, <laughs> one of the funny things that I did when I was doing my article of coaches who had embarrassing losses their first year, it seems everybody lost to Maryland. Like, that seems to be <laughs> a rite of passage for first-year head coaches. Um, but also, that's a good thing for the program long-term because then you can say, look, this is a long build. This is how far we have to go. But at the same time, it didn't cost them anything in conference play because Maryland's out of conference. Yeah. So they, and you know, the Big Twelve isn't. I mean, it's a it's a deep conference of just teams that like that are Texas's level right now. But it's not. There's not a whole lot of powerhouses. TCU looks great. Um, Oklahoma State, you know, could be a paper tiger. Oklahoma's Oklahoma. But after that. I mean, even if you lose to all three of those, Texas can conceivably go six and three in conference. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's not at all. I don't think they will, but it gives you an idea of what they can do. Yeah, I tweeted a joke about it after Florida State lost about how like I don't know, whatever Jimbo being a sure thing or something. But I, yeah. really, I'm <laughs> the point of it was to mock the idea that like every coach. So many people when we hired O, yeah, we're sure we were doomed to fail. Oh, we should have taken Jimbo. Yeah, I yeah. did the same thing, but I wasn't making fun of Jimbo. I was no. making fun of LSU fans. Exactly. Me too. <laughs> Me too. And that's what, or just more generally, like college fans that like associate like every coach with being like the new emperor. You know, it's like I, I don't know. Unless you hired Nick Saban or Urban Meyer, I don't think you're you're hiring like. A for sure slam dunk. And look, Urban Meyer lost Oklahoma. He's not as much of a sure thing as you think either. Yeah. Well, there, are, there are no sure things. No. It's, uh, that's college football. That's why it's great. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to is that everybody thinks, oh, I'm just going to hire this guy and everything's going to be fine. And it's not. Like, it's, it's hard. Winning is hard. 